This is a HeadGum Podcast. Andrew, I'm trapped on the information superhighway, and I don't know how to change lanes. <laughs> Help. Is that, do you just type in a new URL in your web browser? Is that what you're asking? I'm, I feel like I'm stuck in a rut on the internet, is what I'm saying. I, I guess. What should I do? Make a new web, uh, make a new website with the people at Squarespace. I'm gonna, that might I'm help. Gonna, I'm going to pick up what you're putting down, <laughs> despite my better judgment <laughs> if you want to make a website for some reason do it with squarespace squarespace helps you claim a domain sell stuff online market your brand and see analytics so you can see exactly who is merging into your lane on the information superhighway that's right when you use squarespace you get award-winning website design you get world-class engineering beautiful templates powerful e-commerce tools and you get nothing to patch or upgrade ever in 24-7 award-winning customer support. We use Squarespace. Why don't you use Squarespace? Come on. Do it. If Hop you in. Make, if you Join make, us. If you want to climb in the passenger seat of our car and take a ride on the information superhighway, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue. Use offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Just wanted to make sure everybody at home knew what was up with our podcast that <laughs> By we saying do. The stuff that we always say, but like kind of slower, more emphatically than usual. You know, some, they might have heard the theme music. They might have gotten lulled into a false sense of security. They just, just, this is just another one of those episodes. Mm-hmm. Just gonna put it on, take a nap, nap. No, we're no here. nap, no nap for you. Wake up, let's go. I'm not. I'm actually not driving this episode. So the way that the show works is that each week one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Usually it's a book that you've at least heard of, which we'll talk about for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Andrew, this week, what did you read? I read Two Like the Lightning. That's T O O. By Ada Palmer. Not, not a guide not, on enjoying lightning. <laughs> not to like the lightning. Not, you know, like to like the lightning. Ah, sure. This it is, is. used to be who won, one who liked the lightning. It's not one. It's not three. It's two like the lightning. Yes. Uh, no. Shout outs to Lake on Twitter who said, okay, I can't be the only one who saw this title and this cover and thought it was an edgy exploration of the Cars franchise. No, this is not about Lightning McQueen. Ooh, it could have been good like guess, though. Queen. I think it would have been. I'm not going to say it would have been better, but it definitely would have been more like in line with my personal taste and experience if it had been a very over serious analyzation of the movie Cars. And that's the, that's your goof lane. That's that's the, where that's, I live. Yeah, just normally is like if you're looking for Andrew, send a mail. <laughs> To the goof lane. Like, do the, how do they reproduce? What is inside them when you open the doors? Just kind of important stuff like that. I promise we're going to talk about this book, Andrew. I did see a tweet over the weekend about how there is a Pope mobile in Cars 2, yes. mm-hmm. and I'm still reeling from that knowledge. Uh, this is a recommendation, this book, To Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer, a recommendation from some of our Patreon supporters, Maureen and Anna. Um, Anna just wanted to let us know that uh, she listens to the show while playing a lot of Titanfall 2. Um, hope that your KDA is pretty good. We'll take all the credit. Uh, Maureen says, my rec is a book called Two Like Lightning by Ada Palmer. She's actually faculty in my grad program here Whoa. at UChicago, oh boy. which is how I got to find out about her Terra Ignota series. It's a mix of sci-fi and enlightenment philosophy. Uh, spoilers? It's based on Diderot's Jacques Le Fetaliste. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a spoiler, but... Uh, and it's extremely cool, if a little long. think it's a good fit for Overdue. <laughs> I'm not... This is... 
I'm going to say this now, and it's not going to come into play when we talk about any of the rest of the book. But ever since we started reading Don Quixote, and he had that whole like opening section where he was talking to one of his pals about like not feeling kind of up to writing a cool, smart book. And then his friend just told him, well, if you want to make your book seem smart, you just put in a bunch of references to like the Bible and stuff. Oh, sure. (laughs) And so now every time I read a book about anything that references a bunch of like Renaissance literature or like theology or anything like, yeah, this person read Don Quixote and is trying to make their book seem smart. Hmm. I'm not saying the book isn't smart. (laughs) I'm just saying that the person knows how to make their book seem smart. Ah, sure. And may, and may, in fact, succeed. Who knows? We'll talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, so let's talk about Ada Palmer real quick. Um, born in 1981 in uh, Washington, D.C., make it a state. Grew up in Annapolis, <laughs> Maryland. Uh, went to Simons Rock College Bard and graduated Bryn Mawr College, later studied at Harvard. Um, her website... As I was reading her bio on her website, it's a very good website. Ada Palmer's done a lot of different stuff in her career, um, which we'll talk about briefly here. But, like, I don't know. It's a very in-depth website. Mm-hmm. And I get I get the sense about this book even just from reading her website. It is very, like, <laughs> meticulous. Uh, it is very clearly written by someone who loves research and loves citing things. Yeah, and loves it's, it's definitely that for sure. Organized information. Um, her website keeps saying that she went to different programs because she wanted more tools to be a Renaissance historian. Um, taught briefly at Texas A&M and now at University of Chicago. Her first great fantasy book love was The Hobbit. Found it in a library. And then uh, was like kind of hooked ever since. Uh, took some summer writing courses, got invested in history. She's also a composer, Andrew. She loves mm-hmm. Renaissance music, sang a bunch of it in school, and has written a Viking-themed song cycle <laughs> called Sundown Whispers of Ragnarok. It was performed <laughs> as a stage piece. I, I feel like... This is all very impressive, but when you just take it without warning, it is kind of like, whoa. <laughs> this is a lot. You are, you are the author of an acclaimed novel series and a, a decorated historian. I didn't know you had time to uh, perform in the stage version of Sundown Whispers of Ragnarok, which was based on the 13th century Icelandic prose Edda, from which we derive much of our knowledge of Viking folklore. Also, I learned about filking, Andrew. Do you know what filking is? Are you sure that it was not a typo for a word that we can't say on our podcast? Um, I don't think it was. <laughs> okay. It may or may not have been a, a typo decades ago. It's basically uh, folk music about nerd stuff. Okay. It comes out of the sci-fi fantasy convention like, community. So it's like, so it's like sea shanty TikTok? It is sort of like sea shanty TikTok, but you're singing about <laughs> cell phones and you're singing about spaceships. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't spa- really into sea shanty TikTok, so for all I knew, they were doing that anyway. I was really into sea shanty TikTok, and please, if you found any about like space sea shanties, I want to hear them. Because mm-hmm. um, if you were writing a sea shanty about Star Wars, that's filking, essentially. Okay. Um, she won an award for a song she wrote in like 2019 or something. It sounds there like an extremely online hobby and genre of music. It's what's kind of fun is that it seems like it predates being super online, but it does it has continuity with the types of communities that found a home extremely online. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also written a bunch of anime and manga uh, criticism. Some of it for the ma- Smithsonian. Manga. Some of it for the Smithsonian. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to get you here, Andrew. Um, A lot of her writing is specifically about the creator of Astro Boy, Osama Tezuka. Um, So, again, like, go check out her website. She's got it all cataloged if you want to learn more. Um, And for this book, she was awarded the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer in 2017. Two Like Lightning was published in 2016, was a finalist for the Hugo that year, won the Compton Cook Award. As I mentioned earlier, it's the first in the Terra Ignota series, which I think is like another way to say Terra Incognita or Terra Incognito. 
mm-hmm. which is like a term that is associated with utopias throughout yeah. fictional, not not fictional history, throughout the history of fiction. Yes. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Um, the second book, Seven Surrenders, was a Locus Award winner. The third book, The Will to Battle. And then the fourth book, Perhaps the Stars, is supposed to come out later this year, maybe even this month in the year of our Star-Lord 2021. Um and yeah, this book is based on Diderot and Voltaire. We've read Voltaire for the show. Maybe we'll get around yeah, to Jacques friend, Le Fataliste. Friend of the show, Voltaire. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and the title comes from uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet play. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, and I think it is a speech. I think it's the balcony scene. When Juliet is like, Romeo, you just told me you were in love with someone else the other day, and now you're in love with me. I'm a little worried that this whole deal is going to be gone before we even get to experience it. Like, this all feels a little rash, a little hasty. Mm-hmm. Um, to like the lightning which doth cease to be, ere one can say it lightens. And she had been ruminating on that quote for years, wanted to write a story about like a thing that happens very quickly and then is gone and then like half of the story is about it being gone. So something we will not get to cover in this podcast I imagine is the fact that per interviews with her the thing that is exciting and is like lightning I think is gone by the end of the second book and okay. then comes back a little later okay. um, or, or no it's gone and then it's all the it's all the fallout from there um, I don't know anything that we should know like top level about this book, Andrew, I've got like a bunch of quotes and stuff, but anything on your mind that folks should consider before we take our break about the style of the book or something? The the only thing I guess I'd mention about the style of the book is that it is self-consciously written in the style of like an 18th century novel. Kind of. Mm. I say kind of because I feel like Palmer is mostly just like using it to tie into... I don't know. I, I, part of me thinks that she just really like turning to the reader and saying, reader, I did a thing sometimes, mm. you know, like reader, I married him. Like that seems to be sure. the main construct that Palmer is into is just being able to talk to the reader and to use some archaic language that is that they think is fun sometimes. And then also to play with like gender and the. Okay the role of it in society, gender roles, you might say almost. Huh. <laughs> Cause in the, this book takes <laughs> place might. in the, in the 25th century. It is, okay. it is our world, but it's the 25th century. Uh, things have changed as you might imagine. And one of the things that's changed is, um, clothing is a lot there. Clothing is a lot more egalitarian is the word that that is used to describe it in the book. Like there, there is not, coding of any given gender that is attached to clothing and everybody in public pretty much goes by they them pronouns like everybody mm. does um but the narrator of this book uh mycroft canner who we're going to talk about a lot yeah I bet. um partly because mycroft has decided to write this book in the form of an 18th century novel is using a lot of uh gendered pronouns but they, throughout the book, and Mycroft turns to the camera a lot of times and, and talks about pronoun usage and is having debates with some imagined reader who is not me, like the reader in the yeah. in the 21st century reading the book, but some imagined future reader who is reading this book as part of some like historical research about the way that things used to be. Um. Anyway, there there are there are some rules and expectations that the book is like continually just kind of playing fast and loose with. And that's sure. kinda, that, that's part of the point of doing it. I'm glad you mentioned the narrative thing. Cause apparently that is a thing she mentions a lot about borrowing from Diderot, Denise Diderot and Jacques Le Fataliste, where Jacques is this valet on a trip with his master, his employer, whatever it might be. And he's like, telling him about his life it's kind of inconsistent um it's very like relatable and again like talking into the camera e 
uh, it sounds like she kind of like took that idea and really ran with it. Um, yeah, right, we, we could talk a little bit more about it after the break, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff to dig into there that I'm not probably smart enough to get into <laughs> slash our podcast isn't going to be long enough to get all the way into, but it's it's in there. It's all in there. It's all in there. I trust you. Let's take a break and then you'll tell me about it. Andrew. Hey, Craig. What's like, what's just like getting in your way? <laughs> Is stuff getting um, in your way? I mean, it's mostly the number of hours in a human day. Mm-hmm. And the way that time as a construct is keeping me down. <laughs> yeah. I and like needing to that. pay attention to the clock and sync that up with other human beings' activities. That That's in my way. This I don't know seems- if you can help me with that. I don't know that I can help you with that. But if you or any of our listeners have like things like that, that it might <laughs> help to talk through, I would like to tell you about our sponsor this week, BetterHelp which does make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. You can talk about stuff that's on your mind. Talk about stuff that you think might be in your way. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in a safe, private, online environment in under 48 hours, and you can send a message to your counselor anytime, schedule weekly video or phone sessions that fit into your life, that fit onto your calendar, the service is available for clients worldwide, and as I said before, they're committed to matching you with licensed professional counselors whose expertise matches your needs. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Why don't we start with the character who the book is entirely from the perspective of, and we can kind of build our way out to the world from there. Tell me about Mycroft and what their Mycroft can, who of course is uh, along with some other influential Mycrofts in this universe is named after Sherlock Holmes's older brother. Okay. Who is super smart, but just kind of sits and watches the world burn <laughs> while his brother's out like doing Coke and being smarter than everybody else. Sure. Uh Mycroft Ganner is a is a criminal in this world. Mm. He is he and this is the, those are the pronouns that he chooses for himself in this narration of the of the world that he's giving us. He has committed some crime which at the outside of the book is sort of nebulous. What you get is that there is a system of trackers in this world. Everybody wears like a, a tracker device except in you know certain varied high security situations that is like a, it is a tracking device it's a communication device it's a it's like a google glass basically an, okay it's not an apple watch it's a little more high tech no it's a kind of a face sorted screen sort i love of it thing okay great um man google glass was bad google yeah glass was bad that was a bad product that was a bad time <laughs> uh but you Mycroft has done something at some point in history that involved them, like, fooling this system. Okay. okay. And as far as the world is concerned, it is done using this this weird, commu- like, tech gadgety thing that's been labeled, for obvious reasons, a, a canner device. Okay. But is, like, you find out pretty early is not actually what... Mycroft was using gear around the system. But anyway, this is a this this skirting of the system has something to do with the crime that Mycroft has been accused of. But one of the ways where criminals who society believes can be like rehabilitated, one of the things that they end up doing is serving society in some way. So they become this entire like cast of of people, almost servicers, they're called. Okay. Okay. And they they do jobs in society that society needs done, but that society doesn't want to do. Yeah. So okay. you know, like cleaning up streets when a sewer line explodes, or you know, sort of task rabbity things that we, I don't know, things that things that need done, but that you know, 
polite society does not consider like a viable career path or like something that you really want to be spending all of your time doing. Yeah, this doesn't seem like a a new invention on Palmer's part. She's just codified it into into this society as in part a of the way. like criminal justice system or something. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so we don't. I will say we don't find out in this book, at least as far as I picked up, what exact mechanism is being used to keep people who were criminals from like redoing their thing, except insofar as like when you've had everything taken from you and you've been thrown in this, like lumped in with all these servicers, like ambition ceases to be a driving force in your life. And so you don't really like want, anything and you're just kind of like happy with with your lot in life i i'm okay. not sure i i buy that as a as a blanket like reason why mycroft can't do the some of the things that mycroft was uh did interested in <laughs> sure but anyway that's that's the deal is uh mycroft is a servicer uh and they we so we find out about the society from there uh the like the family unit in this universe is it's a it's a group of not necessarily blood related people called a bash house okay i'm i'm positive i'm not pronouncing that the way it's intended to be pronounced but um imagine if everybody you met and became friends with in college like you could just decide that you were family now and you all lived in one big house together i mean like some people do that some people though. do that and it's yeah it's great but that's imagine all of society was ordered that way okay sure that, that's the big that's the big change that she has that is, that is a big that yeah. is a big change and that so take what that implies which is that the ties that that bind us or the arbitrary ties like who you were born to or the country you were born in or whatever imagine that almost all of that is gone and in place you can kind of pick whatever you want to do and whoever you want to be okay um so there was a time in the like the mid 22nd century i think Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one time period that this, you know, th- this book is the, the world is very interested in like the Roman empire and like antiquity because that, like every Western society, I guess, is just obsessed with looking back toward Rome, the original yeah. empire and just being that powerful and that influential, I suppose. Uh, one period it's not really interested in is the period of American imperialism and hegemony (laughs) she there's a quote from her where she she was giving drafts of the novel to her dad and her dad was like but what happened to america yeah it's bare it's barely in it it's barely in it so so imagine that this this was a this is a change that is brought about by technology so imagine how the internet uh broke down barriers between people in terms of like communication and like sure I don't know, dissemination of, of messages and, and information. At a yeah, very we're living in a global speed. society. Yeah. Well, okay. So imagine that you have an internet, but it's cars. And so in addition to having like a global communication society, you can also physically go pretty much wherever you want in the entire world within like a couple of hours. Like you, so you it, can go, you could travel so fast that you can outrun the sun and just like have it be daytime all the time if you want to. Like that's how fast the travel is in this in this world. So this is a novel about Lightning McQueen is what you're saying. It's I mean it's a movie about vehicles that go very fast. So <laughs> in that sense could, Are they could, flying could chow, cars? Could Lightning McQueen is here. Yeah, they're like Jetsons-y cars. Okay. That seems interesting. It like a lot of her comments about the book are her Referencing a lot of the Renaissance writers that she's interested in, referencing a lot of the sci-fi writers she likes, and then being very conscious of the fact that she is combining the two. Like, mentioning that she wanted to put flying cars in it because it's like this kind of trope of, you know, the last 70 years of science fiction. Yeah, where's my flying cars? Where are my jetpacks? Exactly. Where's my my food pills? Yeah. 
um, and she's interested in people interested in the Roman Empire because that's what all the Renaissance men were interested in. Um, huh. Okay. Okay. Well, so, okay. So there's a lot more to explain for me. Please, here. no, no. Please hit me with. Uh, there, okay, so, we got fast cars. So this, we got, we got fast cars, like like in the song "Fast Car." Yeah, and the fast cars enable people to work pretty much everywhere, anywhere that they want. They can, huh. you know, they can go wherever. And so we get to a point in the mid 22nd century where, because of religion in America, get this, the world is. As some kind of war with itself. Okay. And the king of Spain gets up and he says, it's stupid that you can, because of the country you were born in, you'd feel like you have some kind of obligation to this body. And the country of America is asking a bunch of people who owe like nothing to it to fight its wars on its behalf. And so what I'm saying is let's all stop being like citizens of of geographic areas and just like choose something that's different from countries to <laughs> sports <laughs> teams. Sports teams, I guess, but like even sports teams is based on geography mostly. Yeah, like would mostly. you be a fan of any of Philadelphia's terrible sports teams if you weren't a long t- like a lifetime resident of this area? They're bad teams, Craig. <laughs> They're objectively bad teams. Andrew, what? they've won. Listen, I'm fairly certain that there have been th- at least three Philadelphia sports championships in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. The Phillies, the Eagles. Go Birds. And the indoor soccer team, the lacrosse team. Some team that John Bon Jovi <laughs> owned. The arena football team. Some team I've never seen play and whose name I don't even know also won a championship. Um, so that's three, and I've been alive for 34 and change years. So, like, that's one every 11-ish years. That's okay by me. It's, mm. it's not, actually. I'm very unsatisfied. That's not very good. Can I, can, okay, can I get in a lightning car and go somewhere else, <laughs> Yeah, right. Can you go somewhere with a better sports what team? What do these people organize themselves by? I mean, it's, a, it's around... Um, ideology a, a lot of it is like by by the time you get to the 25th century a lot of the um the the main like unit of of people political organization of like yeah uh, it, it's they're called hives but by the time we get to the 25th century a lot of hives have like grown and shrunk and merged and so there's not always like a a clear like there are some hives that have been assumed by others and, and it, it sort of complicates like what each hive is about sure so to speak like to, to, it makes a defied simple explanation a little bit okay but you know you can still have some affinity for the place where you are from genetically or like geographically but i think i, I feel like it's a little like some of the like the EU stuff that you see going on now, like some of the stuff wrapped around Brexit is we are like, we're a block who is trying to make everything the same because we are all like right next to each other. And it is to our mutual benefit most of the time for things to all be the same. But we are also fighting against this deep seated, like human need to separate into tribes and us versus them. And, to have some kind of like pride in your in your heritage and where you come from and and basically what the society has done is is it's just removing or like greatly reducing the role that geography and random chance plays in this in this like societal sorting mechanism so well, you you can you can decide that you want to be a part of whatever nation you want to be a part of but it's well, not based on where you were born or where you live or, or or whatever anymore. Before hearing you tell it, I had not I had not grokked the connection in reading about this book between this type of like choose your choose like choose your citizenship, choose with, your own society yeah, with the the like way that people can 
self sort into like friend houses also like there is very clearly a connection there in this like what if a future where choice was easier mm-hmm. and choice well, and, about and, your identity and yourself was easier and sometimes sometimes your bash house is you know, like you're all in the same hive and and sometimes you're not like you, mm. you know there there there's a lot of freedom available there though some hives are are better suited for you know like mingling out in the world than than others uh, there's this one in particular called the the utopians who are interested in mostly in the future and they're off like making like robot animals and attempting to colonize Mars. And they're not so interested in like the day-to-day political machinations of stuff happening on earth. But yeah, you've got like, you've got this group called the, this hive called the cousins who are, this was, this is probably my favorite one as the book describes it because basically everybody who's a cousin like you're all just trying to pay it forward all the time and do each other the kind of good turns that you would do for somebody who you didn't know that well but you were affectionate enough with to like help them move this so rules. basically it's like it it is a sort of a, a large scale good Samaritanism. Like everybody's yeah. always trying to volunteer to pick somebody up from the airport, but it, it, it like it, they, they rule by suggestion box. Oh, and so boy. people put stuff in the suggestion box. Like, Hey, I need someone to help me move. Hey, I need $60 million for a grant to do some research. And you just it just everything just kind of works itself out, mm. which in a way makes it sound like a libertarian paradigm. Like this is what the libertarians are trying to say that society would be like is if we just let everybody <laughs> kind of do their own thing, everything would take care of itself. It does seem um, like though that might only be afforded if you to you if you have the resources to a con- like the second that somebody's like hey give me millions of dollars to help with this thing that only works if that million dollars exists elsewhere with other people who are benevolent or yeah, like but think I mean, that but, they can but, get what they need later. Like point, point being though, that some, you know, you're appealing to a smaller group of people when you ask for $60 million and you sure, know, okay. say, Hey, help me clean out my fridge. Cause it's stinky in there. Yeah. But the point being that it works <laughs> and nobody, and nobody asked anyone to help me clean a fridge. That's such a personal crime I've committed against myself. I would ne- I'm so, be so embarrassed to ask someone to help me clean a fridge that smelled bad. Yeah, but I bet you could find somebody who, if you really needed it, and you were, you know, you were deep in something else, and you were just having a lot of trouble. Yeah, that somebody could clean your stinky fridge for you. Okay, but nobody else thinks this this system should work <laughs> because it clearly shouldn't. But then it does. And so that's the great triumph of the cousin hive is that the system works, even though it's not supposed to. There's the there are the Masons. Okay. Who, I'm not going to go into every hive, but I'm just going to go on the ones that I thought were the more interesting. So, yeah. you know, you know, Masons, you know, like the secret society that some people think like runs everything and has forever. And they've got all these like lodges and stuff everywhere. Yeah. My brain really just goes to that song from the Simpsons. And I know that there's other things about Masons, mm-hmm. but that's really the first thing my brain pulls. And it's but yeah. the, the way that the book pitches it is when society starts doing this self sorting thing, a lot of people just go to the Masons and like assuming that they've already got kind of a global conspiracy like <laughs> system set up. Okay. And then enough people did that, that even, and listen, maybe there was something there before, maybe there wasn't, but even if there wasn't enough people went there thinking that there was something there oh, that they were incentivized to come up with a system and like reinforce their own power and create a system. Okay. Oh God. So like maybe the Masons were real and and this is built on top of that or maybe it's just built on the belief that something is there and so let's make sure there's something there because we don't want to look stupid but, but I've, I've, either either way they are a major world power now <laughs> I am certainly not thinking about articles I've read about uh mass movements formed around anonymous forum posters yeah, I don't, you know, hmm. like that might be like maybe like they're like like 
I'm trying maybe to think if there's like so, a like, letter of the alphabet that we could use to label people who maybe oh, it's like it's like R for Reddit. Yeah, sure. Or S for secret. Somewhere a letter mm. around that part of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like not at the end, but toward the end. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe a letter. Maybe a letter that goes with the letter U a lot because it's like you were involved. Ooh, U. Huh. Anyway, this sounds like a cool world, though, Andrew, but like, how does that become a plot for a book where I'm sure stuff has to happen? <laughs> a lot of it isn't plot. I'll tell you that up front. Okay. Like, okay. this is the. This is the it is it is pitched in the in the book as the first of two parts and now that there are about to be what four parts five parts there's the fourth and final part is coming this year yeah okay um you get the plot doled out in little drips and drabs around a lot of the world building stuff sure and and a lot of the world building stuff is super cool like i i we are having some fun talking about the different hives yeah uh, i could talk to you about the set sets who are People who are sort of jacked into virtual reality computer internet from birth. Yes. And they, I don't know, it's it's a movement where people who are more like typical people in the 21st century, they look at them and they're like, that's child torture, right? To like hook a kid up to a computer and their whole body like hooked up in sensors and, and they're they have to do they have to like exist in the cyberspace all the time like that's child torture but then the set sets will be like you're the one who sucks because you just have your regular five senses and you can't see everything like i can cuz oh i've my been God. jacked into a computer the entire time that i've been alive okay um is there is there anything worth like you mentioned the religion war or whatever it was the is there f- religious stuff happening in this book too? The first law of the society is that it is illegal for three or more people to be together talking about religion at the same time. Whoa. <laughs> because they do not want religion to be the source of any more global conflict. It's not that religion isn't allowed to exist. It's not that people can't have beliefs, but they are tired of of wars fought on behalf of gods who may or may not exist. And so their society is structured around that not being allowed anymore. Did what was referred to as the first law? What was your reaction to that when you first read it? I mean, it's written like it, it is a, it is a thing you would write if you were an author writing a book where society was looking back and taking a bunch of cues from the Renaissance. Sure. And they had just like been through the crusades. (laughs) Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. It's a, it's a move that you would make if you looked at like religious fundamentalism around the world and the, the violence and the, the pain that that inspires. Like, yeah, I, I think that it, makes us a certain kind of sense. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who like actively practice a lot of religion who would have more nuanced views on it than that, but that's where I am. The reason I ask is because she has said in a few interviews, I didn't, I didn't know the specifics of what was in the book. So I want to make sure I knew that she said something like, cause she went to school in Harvard and then she taught in Texas and she, had mentioned a contrast between like the way you talk about, and this is just in America uh, in like the new England area versus the South and Texas specifically, this like notion that like, if you're making small talk with people in new England, like it's, it might be weird depending on what group you're in to like bring up what church you go to. Yeah. Whereas Mm -hmm. in like Texas, that's like, that's a way to know where people live and who else they know. And it's, it more assumed that that is a thing you talk about openly. Well, and even, even in like in rural Ohio where I was growing up, like if you were members of a certain kind of church, then you would be like, Oh, Presbyterians, (laughs) no way. Even Uh though you, I would, I never knew what anybody meant when they said stuff like that, (laughs) but people said stuff like that all the time. (laughs) 
it's like I believe the I believe the right kind of Christianity, and those those Presbyterian like they 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 got the the broad strokes right, but I don't I don't think they got everything going. Good. That's funny. Anyway, I'm sure this this. I'm sure that a, a, a society where three or more people talking about religion at the same time is illegal. I'm sure that sounds like persecution to a lot of people. I, I what I want to I am not in that group and I'm being upfront about that, but no, like, and yeah. I am not necessarily either. I think I wanted to mention it because she specifically says like she knows readers might fall down on an, on either side of a line there where it's like, Oh, that is a law that allows kind of like a freedom of private expression of religion. And there are folks who might go, oh, no, that's like an oppression of public expression of well, religion. Well, yeah. And, and depending on your religion, like the public expression of it or the collective expression of it or the like the evangel evangelizing or the mm-hmm, proselytizing mm-hmm. of it might be a like a bigger aspect of of your religion and it's that public side the especially the evangelizing and the proselytizing that it's trying to tamp down and i i hadn't made the connection that you did to the the way that the renaissance talked about it vis-a-vis roman greece that's an interesting point to consider too anyway um i want to know about what happens in the book (laughs) so far so far it sounds like mycroft looks at the camera a lot and says stuff to us so there's then this listen this is a thing that the book acknowledges too something that the the i think the series is going to be centered around but that this book isn't necessarily like throwing in your face the whole time is there's this kid named bridger who can make inanimate objects come to life that seems important and yeah it does seem important doesn't it and Mike, so Mycroft's deal is that he knows about this kid. Like it is, so there's this particular um, group of people, this particular bash, the Sanier Weeks booths, who they are harboring this kid. Also, they are in charge of the cars, like all the fat, you know, the fast cars we talked about earlier, that like in the seems- song Fast Car. That seems important. Yeah, and the, maybe Tracy Chapman would be part of that group. They're the air traffic controllers for literally the entire world, and so yeah, like a pretty like security is something that they're <laughs> that they're focused on because of their job being the, the car cars of yeah. the whole world, and also because they're harboring this secret thirteen-year-old who can make little army men real, huh? And we get a couple of, of scenes of this in, in the book, but the, the thing that's going on with Bridger that like Mycroft and other people around Bridger are like trying to make sure that Bridger is aware of, but also like, because Mycroft thinks, okay, this, this person with this kind of power that we don't fully understand, like what, what are the boundaries of this power? Like the part of it is being able to, make stuff that is not real, real. So you can make an army man come to life. You can make a lump of mud into a prime cut of beef. Can you reanimate people who have died? Like, can you like, what, what are the boundaries of this? Like somebody who has this kind of power is obviously going to be super important. And if there's any hope of them, like learning to use this power for good or not being completely like ruined by the weight of responsibility. Like they have to be allowed to be a kid and to grow up and to have some tiny idea of what it means to be a person in the world. You know, like we need to, we need to protect this person from powerful people who would misuse their power without thinking about its effect on, on, a, on you know on the on the wielder of that power for as long as we can, and so that's part of where Mycroft's coming from. Okay, um, and that that is where a lot of that that is motivating a lot of what he is doing and and observing in the book and the characters who we're paying attention to who are mostly either members of this like little the you know the car house or <laughs> they're like hangers on. Sure, um, because this seems like something that would potentially ups like upend 
whatever this like equilibrium of all the hives is. And not to say that it's like static, but it would certainly like change the entire order. Yeah. Well, and so so the book the the to the extent that the book has a big story that's bigger than than Mycroft, it is about that order and like the people who run this society because what is happening is basically you've got one hive uh the Mitsubishis who are getting to a point where they control like a, a large majority of the land you've got this other hive that's getting to a point where they have most of the population and you've got one that that is getting to a point where it controls most of the wealth and like th- this entire system is kind of premised on there not being a clear majority of anybody who can then yeah. turn around and say we're the majority, so we oppress every like everybody else on the entire earth. That makes sense. Yeah, with with our yeah. majority, and so and so society is getting to this tipping point where you know the the way things started out or, or the way things were like fifty or a hundred years ago. Like you might have like so there's this. Um, there's uh i think it is the the european hive <laughs> that are just all into like hanging out and well, it's, being cool it's Ciao. i don't remember if it's the if it's the, the there's one of the hives i don't remember if it's the europeans or the the humanists who they just like they have a democracy and anybody can vote and anybody can get a vote and your percentage of the vote whatever it may be like you get that percentage of the power in the society it's like very explicit okay yeah and so like 50 or 100 years ago like you had somebody who got like seven percent of the vote and then like someone who got three percent and then the other 90 percent was split out among like 500 people sure and now you've got a thing i think maybe this is the humanists um you and and now you've got somebody who's getting like two thirds of the vote, and they're you know it, it is described as a bloodless, like angstless transition from like true democracy to dictatorship in yeah, the yeah, yeah, course yeah. of like two generations. And okay. the book doesn't even doesn't even necessarily say that that's a a bad thing. It talks about how in times of crisis it can be easier to have one you know like a smaller group of people or one person who is more empowered to act and in you know in being more empowered and less like tied down by the the bureaucracy and the the cruft of like a a truly representative democracy you can respond to big problems more you know more the real uh the anakin skywalker school of thought what if we just had one powerful person who could make all the systems do what we wanted i guess yeah Uh uh-huh uh-huh so this is like the the way that just the way that congress has operated throughout our (laughs) literally our entire lifetimes does make me wonder sometimes you know (laughs) it that's when that's that fun thing where the political spectrum wraps around on itself you know i've lapped myself and now yeah. i'm now i'm fascist and i am re- i am reminded of she somebody asked her i think this was the quillery.com asked her what her favorite utopian novels was and of course she cited francis bacon from the 17th century because ada palmer is an awesome nerd but the thing that she checked was that uh, she says, I think a real utopia, a good path for humanity will never be static since the human mind always conceives new things to make and do and try. She kind of bemoans. No, she's still interested in them, but like is is less interested in utopias that are just like we reached this point and now we're just here. And it seems like there's a lot of like even in these hives, there's internal motion all the time like that this democratic hive would kind of grow and change into demagoguery seems like a thing that she's like, yeah, that's just going to happen. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's, it's not inherently good or good or bad, but it is it, going to happen. And, yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, she is concerned. She, she is just as interested in exploring like why empires and societies die as she is mm. in like fleshing out the, the, this world that she's made. You know, she talks about the, like you know 
Alexander the Great, like he wanted to conquer the world, but he really just conquered this little corner of it. And so instead of actually conquering the world, he just said, this is, I've conquered the world because this is the only piece of world that anybody knows. (laughs) And then that all gets, that all gets busted apart and like Rome conquers like too much area and it becomes unable to maintain that amount of area. And then it, it falls to external enemies. You know, she, she, I don't know. She, she's got a lot of thinking about mostly Europe, but not exclusively Europe. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. Does. Woof. Um, yeah, I feel like I haven't, re- you were asking me about the plot. So you've got Mycroft who, it turns out you learn like halfway through the book. Actually, he's a horrific mass murderer who killed 17 people. I was wondering if we ever find <laughs> like out what he did. Yeah. Family members, like people he was supposedly very close to. He's also got some trauma in his childhood where his whole family died around when he was eight years old. Um he okay. makes he makes fun of you, the reader, for wanting to know like what you know, what is the what is the thing that happened to to Mycroft that makes the stuff that he did seem like, if not justified, then at least like explainable, you know, like we, we huh. always want to know why the monster is the monster. And that's why there are 700 movies about the Joker. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> the devil did doesn't you... need an advocate. <laughs> people. No. Come on. Um, but uh, so it turns out that he's really horrible. He's bad. Yeah. He's also got this other this other person who doesn't have a tracker, and so this is the incredible secret of how Mycroft evaded this like tracker system without actually having this device that somebody definitely does actually have and is out there using. Mm. But no, Mycroft just has a buddy who was helping him yeah. kill kill all the people and so that okay. person is still out there and still at large okay um but yeah what what the inciting in- event of the book is that somebody uses this canner device to t- trick the tracker system and they're doing it around the car house and so uh. all the leaders of this world are like well if all the it's it's like if the entire internet went down. Like what? So imagine what that does to society, what it does to the economy, what it does to yeah. like. I don't know what it does to everything now that everything is so reliant on this one like service. So imagine yeah. that the fast car network goes down. What that does to an intensely globalized and transportation reliant society. <laughs> Well, and a society whose culture is now based upon the choice that that system affords you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would that would mess things up. Seems yeah. So they're trying. They're tr- and also a lot of people could die if the system goes down. Well, a lot of people are in flight, and suddenly the system is no longer able to like prevent car crashes or that um. kind of thing. Um. So yeah, somebody's mucking about in the system. Nobody knows who it is. It's not Mycroft because a couple of very powerful people know that Mycroft never actually had this like tech device that <laughs> fools the scanners. They only had like the package that it came in. Okay. And <laughs> uh, and so it's a it's a big investigation into into what exactly is going on here. And as you dive down into that and do investigating, it turns out that all of the rulers of this and, and like, so part so not only is, is this thing like happening around the car house, but it's also messing with this big, basically like global power ranking that all the major newspapers do where they just like list who's cool. Like yes. a, it's a top 10 list of global leaders. I love and, it. And who is cool and who isn't. And there's the, like there there are particular hives that stand to benefit and definitely not to benefit from this. And if like it it is tied to that, that like majority thing that I was talking about where Mm. if the, if the power rankings came out and they're tampered with, it could exacerbate this majority thing by making people more worried about it, creating unrest and then unraveling society. Okay. And so the, the backstop against this is that 
basically all the entire globe's leaders are like in their own sort of bash house and they're all like boning each other and meeting secretly all the time. This is what I've said all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I bet people get pretty wild that the G20 is all I'm saying. Yep. What does the G stand for? Think about it. It stands for uh, G spot. Good, good times. Oh, what? Whoa! I was gonna say good times. This is a family I didn't, show. I didn't say anything. Say, you can't say that. I didn't say anything. What? Whoa! Someone else said that. Wow! Okay. Who said that? Not me. Somebody hacked our podcast recording and Mycroft. Mycroft. What here. have you done? I keep. I'm so. I started a new a new job a new job yep. where I write about Windows and Microsoft all the time. So uh-huh. I am every time I say Mycroft, struggling mightily <laughs> not to say Microsoft, and I just want that effort to be acknowledged on the when, podcast. When when I hear the name Mycroft, <laughs> I exclusively think about the uh, Benedict Cumberbunch, uh, the Sherlock, Sherlock, mm-hmm. and I saw a, a performance of the guy who played Minecraft. In another Shakespeare play, and he was. You very keep good. trying to say Minecraft, so I do also keep saying. I think I thought that's what people were saying. Minecraft, Minecraft, and so I sort of <laughs> just think that we're talking about that's, Minecraft, and that, that's what Minecraft is called in in, in England. It's an Minecraft. homage, Minecraft. This book apparently ends on a big cliffhanger. Andrew, how'd you feel about that? I mean, was it a cliffhanger? Am I am I reading? Oh yeah, that no, it's a cliffhanger. Like the the boy who can change everything into into real objects is has been. I don't know if it's like has been either kidnapped or protected by ah Mycroft's murder friend. Okay. Um. And you also get this big thing where, okay, so you've got the the family of carboys, and it turns out that if you do this big statistical analysis of all the data and all the car crashes that have happened, because there are not that many of them, it turns out that a significant, a, a statistically significant number of car crashes happen to people who are not super important, but who are important and connected enough that their deaths could conceivably be changing world events. Uh. And so the, the pitch is you've got this family and they're like out there killing people. They've killed at least 80 people, maybe more people. And it is sort of a trolley problem situation where probably they are killing those people to, tweak the course of politics to maintain the peace and keep this like majority thing from happening, becoming a big problem for society, like practically, but also they are killing people, you know, killing people and, and like taking this power, you know, on themselves and you've got systems that are supposed to handle this. And that, you know, the, the people who are managing your, your, traffic should not maybe be doing this and so that 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 those are the cliffhangers okay okay it's like um, the, the bridgered question and what their power is going to become is not fully explored i suspect in like books three and four that becomes more of a thing yeah it's, but, it's also uh, my understanding yeah. in, is starting with book two we get some other some other characters get some perspectives as you well. get you get a couple of of POVs from from other people in this book. It's it's all presented through this like artifice of you know this is this is a book that Mycroft has has written ah uh, sure and like been involved in and so when you get other POV people it's because Mycroft like asked them to to give their perspective on some events that Mycroft was not there to to witness sure anyway yeah it does end on a cliffhanger. It was a really long book. I didn't I I enjoyed it. I'm not gonna run and read book two because yeah, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> sure, <laughs> and and as I think we we've, we've said, sometimes we don't we don't get as much time to do like extracurricular yeah, reading yeah, yeah, for yeah. the show as we normally do. But if somebody you know on the old Patreon list puts book two on on the list, then yeah, I'll, I'll hop on it. That's good. That's fine. 
Anything else had to some, say? I had some fun with the, the world, and obviously there are elements of it that have been fun to discuss for us. I feel like we under-discussed, unless, there's, unless it was We under-discussed a lot of stuff. It, well, it's just hard to... Yeah, I just wanted to shout out the the Mycroft like pronoun stuff too, right? Is there anything else to say about how that hit you? Cuz that was you mentioned that to me before we were recording as like something that stuck out to you as like a stylistic thing because the world doesn't use pronoun gendered pronouns, but Mycroft does. Is that right? Well, but and then by the time you get to the end of the book, you're basically all the world's leaders are like meeting in this brothel all the time where the specialty of this brothel is like gender oh (laughs) people come here to like dress up in 18th century attire and like to show their boobs and to whoa you know it's it's this thing where because it i i have some some quotes i i guess i can read about yeah that'd be interesting book like a, approaches this stuff while, while you look while you look for all this shit like uh palmer has talked about in interviews like that it's very specific that mycroft is deliberately not using the the pronouns of society and is like some of that is Mycroft's interest in Renaissance times or whatever. Mm. And some of it is Mycroft just asserting control over the narrative. Um, I don't know. What else? What do you have from the clips? It's just, it's the the main thing to know about it is like, sometimes it seems like who get sometimes who gets a he and who gets a she is related to like their, their physical biology and, and genitalia. Sometimes it's about, their place in society. Sometimes mm. it's about like just the, the way that they respond to things. Like for, for a while, it seems like Mycroft is giving everybody in in a position of power or like who relies on physical strength. Sure. A male pronoun. And, but then you get to a person who's given female pronouns who is, you know, they, they are powerful, but they have the power of like a, a lioness, like protecting their cubs or whatever. Like it, it, hmm. it's sometimes it seems like it's playing into traditional gender roles, but then it explicitly backs away from doing that. Yeah. In yeah. a way that where you're just like, are you just, are you just kind of messing with me at this point? Like, what do you, <laughs> seems like Mycroft is messing with you. Yes. Does it distress you reader? How I remind you of their sexes in each sentence. Hers and his? Does it make you see them naked in each other's arms and fill even this plain scene with wanton sensuality? And it, like the the theory being, you know, we are so used to gender coded like dress and other other signifiers that we're sort of inured to it. But you get to this twenty fifth century society and like wearing a a low cut top or like tight pants is explicitly like erotic and sexual because people aren't used to that anymore. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's the, I guess the main thing. Well, to, and you picked a, that's about. a good clip to know too, that like that gives us the Mycroft talking to us thing, but is it us, but is it, it is simultaneously us and not us in a way that is like frying my brain a little bit. <laughs> Linguists will tell you the ancients were less sensitive to gendered language than we are, that we react to it because it's rare. But in ages that heard he and she in every sentence, they grew stale as the glimpse of an ankle holds no sensuality when skirts grow short. Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. I don't believe it. I think gendered language is every bit as sensual to our predecessors as it is to us. But they admitted the place of sex in every thought and gesture. (laughs) Which, I don't know, maybe, kind of. This th- those two clips are like good examples to me of like yeah Palmer's been thinking about some stuff yeah right like, Palmer apparently took years to come up with all this stuff and is very interested in all the like plenty of things that never made it onto the page um, because like what is the background of the currency is a thing that she's interested in you know all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well cool thanks for telling me about this book Andrew thanks for listening to me tell you about it. Um, if folks would like to tell us about what hive they would join or what they're doing in 400 years, like send us an email 
to overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. Thanks to Mario, Kyle, Leanne, Katie, Neil, Lily, Sam, Andy, Caleb, Robert, Linda, Hannah, Gloria, and many more who reached out to us this past week. Thanks to Nick Lorandis who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the places where you can subscribe to the show. We're up on Apple Podcasts. We're up on Spotify, Stitcher, all the places where you can do it. And also we have links to the books that we have read and the books that we are going to read. Click those links. We'll take you to bookshop.org. You buy a book there. You get a book from your local independent bookseller. Your local independent bookseller gets money for that book and we get a cut for referring you yeah. uh, patreon.com slash overdue pod is our patreon website get bonus episodes early to help us pay for books and hosting and equipment yeah um, your support means the world to us however you give it to us but your financial support is very tangible in ways that your like emotional <laughs> support is like your emotional support. I love it. And I, I couldn't live without it, but it doesn't send my child to daycare for, to just sure. to throw that out there. Just to, just to like a hypothetical, <laughs> just to like give um, you some, some idea of like the, the real stakes and the real stuff that your support enables in our lives. Yes. Thank you. It's like you get us out from under the thumb of student loans and, pay for our children to be taken care of so that's that means a lot not hypothetical is our september schedule which started with two like lightning by ada palmer next week mrs dalloway by virginia wolf uh following that the boxcar children by gertrude chandler warner uh i i read the 1924 text of the boxcar children i'm going to do some research on the 1940s rewrite update see what the difference is please do yeah because i really want to know what the kids think about the great war is is my understanding that the (laughs) 40s version removed a lot of finance talk we'll get into it (laughs) uh closing out september aragon by christopher paolini we're going to be joined uh with our by our friend natasha from unspoiled check that out That's it, Andrew. We got to get out of here. Bye. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Try to be happy. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.